Ben's Roundtable. Glad you're here. It's great being here at Vertical Church. Thank you, Ben, for allowing us to come in and gather here. For those of you that are tuning in uh, remotely, glad you're with us as well. The recording message, uh, however we can get you together, however we can get you to participate, that's what we're trying to do. Jeff and Jeff, thank you so much for uh, putting us all together, whether remotely or here in the room. And Chris, for preparing our handouts. Guys, you should have gotten two sheets this morning. Uh, when we did the, we did the deal last week, you got a, a weekly sheet, and then there's also another questionnaire. If you didn't get them, I think John's headed to the back, and he'll bring them in. Uh, I think we did get sheets to somebody else. I hope uh, you were able to make it to an Easter service. I know that uh, my family intended on doing that. And we were surprised to find out Sunday morning we didn't have a reservation. What an interesting time we live in. My son invited me Saturday to Vertical Church. I should have taken him up on that offer. That's where I should have been. With vertical. Guys, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. Bill continues a series of Into the Promised Land. We spent enough time in the wilderness. We're moving to the Promised Land. John's got sheets if anybody needs one. Got a couple up front here, John. Great, guys. Glad you're here. Let me open the floor with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, we thank you most of all for what we celebrated this past weekend that you are indeed risen. We worship a God of redemption. The cross, the resurrection, is what reunites us with God the Father. Thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross that we never, never, can do ourselves. Thank you for Phil and the message he brings. In your name we pray. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. Good to uh, be together face to face. And um, Ben, again, I agree with Joe. We're grateful that you've opened your doors to us. And if you're watching online or you're here, and you're not uh, connected to a church, I strongly suggest to you to uh, entertain the idea of being with Ben Derrick and uh, our good friends at Vertical Church, uh, where we're meeting. Appreciate um, Ben opening his doors uh, to us. So this morning, uh, we continue our uh, journey uh, into the promised land. Joshua, take the land, be the man. And um, what I want to, uh, to offer you is a song. Uh, I love music and how God has intended all along that music would awaken our heart uh, to him. And, and, I, and I offer you this song with a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Uh, this, is, this is meant to be somewhat humorous. And it's humorous by the video that you're going to see, which I think is hilarious, uh, just the setting. Uh, it's an old American bandstand. Um, uh, 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 show uh, featuring the flamingos. Everybody loves the flamingos. 
not pink flamingos. And the song is, I only have eyes for you. Now, I, guys, I'm with a bunch of men. I only have eyes for you, really. Most of us have gotten ourselves in trouble because we have wandering eyes. Not only have eyes for you. So um, I want you to hear this song. Uh, it's a sweet song. Um, and, you know, it awakens my heart to how much I love my wife. But it also uh, awakens my heart to how my eyes have been way too wandering and not only on my wife. May you assess where you are in your marriage and your sex life by the flamingos. I only have eyes for you. Uh, of all of the songs around, sometimes the old ones, I think, are interesting, especially when they're redone in a different manner. Many of you, I'm sure, will remember this tune. It's a very old song. I only have eyes for you. And to do it, here are the flamingos. <laughs>
singing I only have vows for you. I mean, I mean, the setting of that is just humorous to me. I mean, who stands out there in the snow around a campfire singing I only have eyes for you? So, anyway, that's why American Bandstand is no longer on. <laughs> Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We continue in our series. Uh, follow with me in your notes as we read the introductory paragraph. Joshua, take the land, be the man. The book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The battlefield is Canaan, and it is where God keeps his promise that he made with Abraham. In this study, we will use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? And the issue that we're looking at today that we started last week is issue number four in the 10, and it's marriage. And we're looking at a topic this morning um, that can be uncomfortable. How's your sex life? Now, if I ask you, how's your prayer life, you would be a little uncomfortable. If I ask you how your sex life would be, you'd probably run for your car. Um, and some of you might start telling me about how your wife is uncooperative. Well, dude, you ain't no peach yourself, okay? This is time to assess yourself this morning. Um, I want to ask you as, as we begin, and before um, I move into the three questions, how many of you did your homework from last week? And what your homework was was to go through the assessment. And most, when I ask everybody if you're going to go through the assessment that I gave you last week, almost everybody raised your hand. So, how many hands do I have today that you followed through and went through the assessment? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that counts if you tried. It takes two, okay, if you try. All my right? dog ate it. So, what's that? My dog ate it. My dog ate it. Yeah, the dog ate it. Yeah. Well, I expected nothing less. I'm speaking, this is a men's group. I understand. I, I have actual people who will keep coming into my counseling office, write me a check. I give them homework. They don't do anything I say, and they keep coming back. Writing me a check. I mean, it, I'm cool with that. <laughs> but you know, if you would do the homework, if you would actually take advantage of the help that I'm trying to give you, you can stop writing checks. I mean, how hard is it? You know, but I'm, I'm fine. So, <clears throat> all right, guys, now you're going to be two weeks behind because I've got another assessment that I'm going to invite you to do. So you got to catch up from last week, do that assessment, and do the one so you get behind in class. 
You pick up your pen. I've got three questions for you. <clears throat> three questions. What is God's purpose for sex? Now, an old Victorian fundamental church view would be procreate. That's the easy answer, you know? Make babies, make babies. Well, I think you can come up with something better than that. That's what we're gonna talk about this morning. How about something like an intimate encounter of pleasure and deepening connection within the bounds of marriage with someone that I deeply love? How about that? How about that? And then a second question, and this is so critical. And this is not a trick question, but it can be a confusing question for men. Is sex a need? Now, I want you to answer that. Write that down on your piece of paper. And then, and then take these three questions and ask your wife. Is sex a need? And guys, I would strongly suggest to you um, just to help you, sex is not a need. It's not a need. Intimacy is a need for deep, deep connection. And sex is a means to that. But, but the metaphor that I would offer you is intimacy is the cake. Sex is the icing. I like butt cake. But I also like carrot cake. Bunt cake has no icing. Now, I like ice cream on my bunt cake. That would be sex. But I can, I can really be very satisfied with bunt cake. Okay? I'm telling you guys, if you make sex the cake, um, you're going to be in trouble. You, you've got it backwards. God intended sex to be the culmination or the pleasurable celebration of a deep connection with your wife. And many men that I talk to all the time measure connection by the uh, amount of sex they're having. It's the only way they know how to keep score. I mean, isn't it funny and not funny that we use that idea, I scored. Dude, that ain't funny. And I guarantee that that's not funny to your wife. It is demeaning. You, you keep, I scored. Dude, it's not a basketball game. Second question. What is your wife's view of sex? Now, now we're getting somewhere. Now I'm in your space. That's uncomfortable. What is your wife's view of sex? Ask her. Ask her. And then number three, how have you failed your wife in your view of sex? How have you failed your wife? And guys, I'm telling you over and over and over, I hear professionally, um, and I hear it with my own wife, that I'm going too fast, too rough, she feels like uh, she's a porn star. She doesn't feel cuddled, doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel appreciated. It's like, where did you learn sex? You know, watching porn? 
You know, listen to your Boy Scout troop leaders in a Boy Scout tent, you know, listen to the 14 year olds, tell the 12 year olds what sex is. That's where I learned a lot. Now that was one heck of a camping trip. <laughs> One exactly what I was counting on. That's what 14 year old boys talk about with 12 year olds. It's so important that we stop a minute and have the courageous conversation with our wife that we're scared to death to have. I have guys that'll come into my office and argue that they can't sit their wife down and talk about the budget because she doesn't want to talk about the budget. Well, how about you engage a conversation with her about your sex life? She might be willing to talk about the budget with you. But that's way too uncomfortable. You want to hammer her because she's spending too much money. How about talking about her if she feels cherished and loved and cared for? Guys, this is real. It's what God's intended. Watch your sex life. That's what we're talking about. So before we dive into that, let's dive into Joshua. Again, as God has done consistently, gives us a model, and we're seeing Joshua as our model as we head toward manhood. We're in chapter four of Joshua. Turn over to chapter four. Um, Last week, um, as we read through chapter 3, we saw the children of Israel um, crossing over the Jordan River. And something really significant happens here as they're crossing in chapter 4. So follow with me as we read verse 1. When the whole nation was finally across... God spoke to Joshua, select 12 men from the people, a man from each tribe, and tell them from right here, the middle of the Jordan, where the feet of the priests were standing firm, take 12 stones and carry them across with you and set them down in the place where you camp tonight. Now, again, as we saw last week, I mean, God stops the water. And it's like uh, this great, immense wall of water. Um, and it's deep. So when those waters start flowing again, what's going to happen, obviously, is all the rocks are covered up. And so how in the world um, are you going to explain to your children, uh, Israelites, how you got across the Jordan River when they look out there and all they can see is this um, expanse of water. It's like, once again, there's a miracle of God that's happened. And so he has the 12 men, 12 uh, tribes of Israel take a stone out of the middle, the very middle, the deep part of the river. Joshua called out the 12 men and he selected from the people of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua directed them cross to the middle of the Jordan and take your place in front of the chest of God, your God. And each of you held a stone to your shoulder, the stone for each of the tribes of the people of Israel, so you'll have something later to mark the occasion. When your children ask you, 
what are these stones to you? They're just rocks, you know, a kid might say. Daddy, what's all those rocks? Now, I grew up in East Tennessee, and one of the characteristics of rock uh, fences, rock walls, um, and there's a, you know, just a few, um, a half a mile from my house, there's this beautiful rock church. Um, you'll see rock houses, rocks every place. Um, and so I grew up um, in an area where there was lots of rocks. And what's interesting is there, we have an Ebenezer stone up at Deer Camp that came from East Tennessee. My brother-in-law and my nephew, Daniel and, and uh, Larry, um, uh, they asked me one year what I wanted for Christmas. And I told them, a rock. And they thought, yeah, he's finally lost it. <laughs> I didn't ask for a lump of coal. At least I didn't go that far. But I asked for a rock. And we have the Ebenezer stone. And it's so funny because, you know, these rocks, uh, it says in the passage that they had to ho ho hoist it up on their shoulder. So, it, you know, it wasn't a rock the size of a grapefruit. Uh, it wasn't a rock the size of a baseball, but it wasn't a big boulder. I mean, they had to hoist it up on their shoulder. Now, some of you, many of you have seen our Ebenezer rock, and that, that rock's about like this and about like that. I mean, it's a pretty big rock. Dude, it took three of us uh, rolling it. Nobody lifted that rock. Uh, it, we rolled it out of the back of uh, Larry's truck. Uh, and we rolled it, uh, Ricky, down there in front of the pavilion where, where it sits now. <clears throat> and we have our Ebenezer Rock. Just an added part of the story, uh, Patrick Lohr was driving through Tennessee. He loves Rome for some reason. Um, and he thought of Rome and how uh, through Rome's wounds, Patrick has been helped and healed, and, and as the passage says in Scripture, by his wounds, we are healed, and by our wounds, many others get healed. So Patrick grabs this rock, just north of Chattanooga, I think it was, he grabs this rock and brings it and gifts it to Rome. What's so amazing is when we get the rock and we bring it uh, to deer camp, Rome's rock just sits perfectly on top of the Ebenezer rock as if it had been chipped and carved and uh, manipulated to fit. It just fits. I think that's a God thing. And it's just confirmation of how God has blessed us through the years at Ebenezer Place. The flow of the Jordan was stopped in front of the chest of the covenant of God as it crossed the Jordan, stopped in its tracks. And the stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. This, these stones are a permanent memorial for the people of Israel. Now, jump over to verse 19. Again, you can read the rest of the passage, but jump to 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They set up camp at the Gilgal, the circle to the east of Jericho. And Joshua erected a monument at the Gilgal using the 12 stones that they had taken from the Jordan. 
And then he told the people of Israel, in the days to come, when your children ask their fathers, what are these stones doing here? Tell your children. Tell your children. Tell your friends. Tell others. Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. God worked. Yes, God, your God, dried up the Jordan's waters for you until you had crossed just as God, your God, did at the Red Sea, which had dried up before us until we had crossed. This was so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is and so that you would hold God in solemn reverence always. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> One of the things that we see here, if we are to be the men that God's called us to be, is the absolute critical principle of remembering. 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 The Apostle Paul writes uh, in, in numerous times in his letters, you know, it's not uh, an unimportant thing for me to remind you. I have no shame about reminding you of what I've written. Remember what God's done for you. Jesus said around the Lord's Supper, you know, we have the bread and the wine. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering. Collect a stone from the river. Make it a memorial so that we can tell our children what God has done. It's a way to tell the stories, you know, an object lesson, an object. The actual Hebrew word is zakar. It's the descriptive word for man. At deer camp, our men's coaching weekends, fish camp, deer camp, we make a pretty big deal out of this. The last thing that we do um, for those of you uh, that have been, and for those to, to let you in on the, those of you who have not been to let you know what we did, the very last thing that we do on Sunday before we leave is everybody has their memorial, whether it's a rock or a Coke can or a pine cone or whatever, but we, we invite them to have some sort of tangible object to take home to remember what God's done in, for many, the most significant weekend of their life. This is why we do it. It's, it, it's scriptural, it's biblical. And many guys who have been to our coaching weekends numerous times, you'll walk into their office and on their shelf will be a rock, a pine cone, a Coke can, a fork, you know, just random. What is that? Dude. It may look like random stuff, may look like trash to you, but it symbolizes the greatest weekend of my life. God changed my life right there. Always remember, you can write this down, symbol is greater than reality, always. And that's a biblical principle. Symbol is greater than reality. The reality is a rock. Symbol the magnificent work of God. Symbol is greater than reality. And that's why you get sideways with your wife talking about marriage. 
<clears throat> is your, it's like, well, you know, it was just, it was just a rock. No, it was not just a rock. To her, it was life and death. It symbolized something greater. You've got to realize what she's talking about when she's talking to you about finances or sex or the kids. It symbolizes so much more to her. And you're thinking, what's the big deal? It's a rock. No, dude, it's much more than that. Symbol is greater than reality. You know what this is? A lot of you know what this is. I've shared it here at camp and shared it here on Thursday morning. This is, um, this, to some of you, some of you think this is an Altoid box. You just think it's a, a tin with rattles in it. No. This symbolizes one of my best friends, his life and his death, Denny. And in this box are 17 pennies. And when I did Denny's funeral and, um, and shared the gospel at Denny's funeral that he'd asked me to share, um, I asked um, his friends and family to bring a penny if they had uh, trusted Jesus as their Messiah. Denny was Jewish. If you ever saw a picture of Denny, there was no doubt. That guy's Jewish. <laughs> but he loved Jesus. And 17 of Denny's friends and family came up and gave me a penny. And I carry this everywhere I go. It's always in my computer bag. <clears throat> I don't ever want to not have this. It helps anchor me in the works of God because God used my friend Denny in my life when I was at my lowest. I don't ever want to forget Denny. He saved my life in many ways. <clears throat> you know what this is? It looks like a children's book. Boy's Book of Adventures. But what it is, is my journal. It is my rock that I carry with me. There's a guy in Shreveport that does these journals. It's incredible. Um, he takes old books that are going to be thrown in the trash. And he cuts the back off of it, puts a binder around it, leaves a, 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 a number of pages from the original book in it, inserts blank pages for the journal. And he makes these great journals. I've been to his shop in Shreveport. It's really cool. And man, when I saw this, Boy's Book of Adventures. That's Phil Harden right there. It's got my name in it. You know? Because I can wear my cowboy hat at Deer Can and pull my journal out and just be a little boy. But man, this is a rock that helps me remember what God has done. I've actually seen this principle used in the counseling office. The first time I ever saw it was when I was um, checked into a mental hospital myself. Um, as I've said to you many times before, I am certifiable crazy. I have papers. I don't need a vaccination passport. I've got mental health passport. And when I was at the Minnesota Meyer Clinic, I saw Henry Cloud practice this kind of principle um, with those who were working through abandonment 
and had a hard time of conceiving of a God uh, who was unlike their father or their mother, but a God who was available, involved, and present. Because that, that's, that's a crazy maker for many of us that grew up with them in abusive homes. And so what I saw him do is he would give them, those who were struggling with being able to somehow consider God as someone who really loved them and cared about them, he would give them an object that would help them remember him as the therapist who, who was um, the object of healing at that moment until they could transfer like a kid transfers from daddy to abstract God at about five to seven years old. So he would give them, I've, I've seen him take his necktie and give the client a necktie. <clears throat> now I've, I've practiced this to some degree in my own counseling practice. When I get somebody that's really, really broken, and I, and I can tell you a number of stories, I'll invite them to take something from my office. Now it's a little bit tricky because what you've got to do is not create such dependence uh, long-term. What you're trying to do is help them trust me, trust another until they can transfer and see that I'm just an object of the loving God that God put in their life. And so trust me for a while, much like a child trusts father, but then at some point you want to transfer that over to God himself. I recently had a man in my life that I love, in my office that I love very dearly. And he's telling me the story of how he has a hard time of understanding God as loving, present, and truly available. And I invited him to take something from my office. I gave him something from my office. And I said, you know, I want you to really see this as an object that represents my relationship with you. And do you believe that I love you? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I want you to understand that God loves you much more than I do. When you see this object, I want you to think of my love for you that you can see and experience, but I want you to get beyond just me because God loves you so much more. And he left with that object. Powerful, powerful time. Guys, we, we are like little children. It's like we need a rock. We need something tangible. You know, it's, it's like, you know, the little girl in the lightning storm. The thunder's crashing, lightning's flashing. Daddy runs up to the bedroom because he hears her crying. And she says, Daddy, I'm scared. And he says, we just need to pray to God. God will protect you. She says, yeah, but Daddy, I need something with skin on it to hold me. We need something tangible. And sometimes we just need a rock. We need a rock to remind us of God's love. That's what this passage is about. So we want to be the man. Take the land. Joshua shows us this idea of remembering. But guys... <clears throat> Mm -hmm. 
we have got to get this straight. If we're going to be men, we have got to get our sex life in order. This is a hard session for me in some ways because I've got so much I want to share and I need to do a series on this. You know, this, this deserves 10, 12 weeks. It will do that. So this is kind of, I feel like this is a little bit of a drive-by because that's all I have time for. But I want you to hold up that assessment that I put in your hand. And we had a little bit of a breakdown in communication. What you were intended to have was, uh, once again, a front and back. But all you have in front of you is an assessment, restore passion. Now, what I would call this assessment is assessment light. Assessment light. Start with this one. And if you can stand the heat on this one, then go to the website and just got the second one posted. And the second one is growing marriage, assess your sex life. If you can't handle the one you've got in your hand, then you can't handle uh, the one that's on the website, okay? Um, a book that you must get that I want you to get is a book by Sheila Gregor, The Great Sex Rescue. This is a must read for men. And part of the reason that it's a must read is because it gets us out of this idea that so many Christian books have touted that somehow um, the role of my wife is to make sure that my sex life is fulfilled and that if she doesn't fulfill my sex needs, then I can uh, blame my pornography or even the affair on her because she wasn't having enough sex with me. Guys, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. I have had more than once uh, couples in my office that have come to see me because they have been with another counselor and the counselor, the Christian counselor told the wife who's sitting there with her husband having had an affair that the reason that he had the affair is because she wasn't having sex with him enough. That's what a Christian counselor said to him. Guys, that's abuse. That's abuse. That is so wrong. So wrong. What is your view of sex? Um, on YouTube, there's numerous um, videos of Sheila Gregor, uh, and I would encourage you to, to watch some of those. I want to just show you just briefly, just, just a two-minute clip, gives you a little bit of exposure to Sheila. Watch this. So what is this whole idea of intimacy and what did God intend sex for anyway? I grew up in the church. I don't know how many of you did, um, but I attended church even as a little girl. And when I was very small, we used to use the King James Version of the Bible. That's what they would read from every Sunday. Graduated to the NIV around 1984, but when I was sort of that prepubescent period, we were still using the King James. And I remember sitting in church in the pews, and I would be sitting beside some of my friends, and the pastor would read from Genesis. 
and he would say, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived unto them a son. And you would giggle, and you would elbow all your friends, because that was so funny. You know, Adam knew his wife, because God was embarrassed of the actual word. That's what y'all thought. You know, God just couldn't say the word, so he knew his wife. But interestingly, when you look at that Hebrew word for Adam knew his wife, it's the word haudah. And it is used throughout the Old Testament uh, to mean a really deep knowing. In fact, when David writes, search me and know me, oh God, that's the same word that he uses. So the question is, was it that God was embarrassed of using the real word, or did God know what he was doing when he used that word? And I think God knew what he was doing. Because I think God wants us to realize that sex is supposed to be a deep knowing. A deep, and not just a deep knowing, but when David says, like, search me and know me, there's that longing for connection. It's a deep longing to be connected and to totally know someone else. And that is what sex is supposed to embody. It can't do that if sex is anonymous with lots of different people. It can only do that in a deeply committed relationship when you are with this person for life. That's why sex is supposed to be in marriage. And I think that that whole idea of a deep knowing encompasses three kinds of intimacy. And we can see the different kinds in the Bible. Um, there's certainly the physical intimacy, the fireworks in the bedroom, having the orgasms, all of that sort of thing, which is very important. And then there's also the emotional intimacy, feeling like you're just having fun and you enjoy being together. And then the spiritual intimacy, which is what I think many people miss is that ability to just say, I love you when you're making love. And this is so wonderful. And I just want to be with you. Guys, there's, again, um, there's so much to this idea of sex that needs to be explored and understood. And it's such an opportunity to find deeper connection with your wife. And what I want you to leave here with this morning is a willingness to venture into that very vulnerable, hard, talking conversation with your wife. The most important thing that I want you to hear this morning is talk to your wife. Talk. Talk. I'm, I'm suggesting to you that the most important sex organ is your mouth. And I'm not talking about oral sex. I'm talking about just talk. Just talk. And I've given you an assessment that will help you get started. And then um, if you can handle the heat on that first one that's printed out, then go to the website, print out the second one, because the second one actually comes out of the book, The Great Sex Rescue. For example, question number one, the blame for a husband's affair or porn use lies at the feet of the husband not blame of the wife. How about that? What do you think about that? How would you score that? Question number two, porn use must be dealt with before a healthy sexual relationship can be built. The remedy is not more frequent activity. Guys, I've heard that in my office being touted by other Christian counselors. No, porn has got to stop. 
got to stop. Don't, ex don't expect her to have sex with you if you're still using porn. That's wrong. That's a threesome. I don't do threesomes. We acknowledge the harm of pornography on the husband's self-perception, sex drive, and sexual function. Guys, the use of pornography will ruin your ability to have real sex with another person. And it goes on and on. This is going to be uncomfortable. But you know what? And we talk about this at Deer Camp all the time. You cannot have intimacy without vulnerability. But some of you guys don't want intimacy. You just want sex. You want it to be right. But it's like vulnerability, naked and unashamed, is what God intended. See the idea there on your notes. First of all, you've got to have good resources. And I'm telling you that this book is a great resource that I'm offering you today. Great sex. Listen to what great sex looks like. The definition of great sex, that sex should be personal, pleasurable, pure, prioritized, pressure-free, and put the other person first and be passionate. What does that look like? And again, you may not know what that looks like because you're just going based on the Boy Scout conversation when you were 12 years old. Probably change. Needs to change. Talk to your wife about it. And then, view of women. Guys, we have mistreated our wives. We've mistreated our women. Evangelical books, Christian books, repeatedly command women to have frequent sex with their husbands to keep them from watching porn. They teach women that it is an obligation and wifely duty for women to give their husbands sex whenever the men want it. Guys, I've read it. She lists the books um, in her book that teach that. It's, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. It's so demeaning to women. Talk, 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 talk about sex. It's number four here. Look at that. The authors of this book suggest ways for Christians to talk about sex in a much healthier way that still affirms biblical teachings about sexuality, challenge, um, sexuality challenges of biblical sexual ethic. This idea, this is a very Christian biblical book. I mean, she, she does a wonderful job of exegeting passages. This is not just her opinion, but it's like finally somebody has put tea back into a biblical ethic of our sexuality. It's a long overdue connection. I believe in good teaching. <laughs> That's what I try to offer you as best I know how every Thursday morning. Um, the Great Sex Rescue is a book that sees and validates the pain caused by so many misguided and abusive Christian teachings about sexuality. It is a book that provides hope and healing for Christian couples looking to correct 
their faulty beliefs and experience true intimacy as God intended it. Pleasurable, mutual, respectful, and united. Guys, with all my heart, with all my heart, it would give me great joy if you came back in here next week and you told me I had a very hard conversation with my wife and I asked her about our sex life. And when you told me about how she experiences sex with me, I repented. I asked her for forgiveness and let her know that I wanted to cherish her. Now guys, in a room this size, and there's all ages in this group. I know sometimes the plumbing doesn't work and there's all kinds of physical issues and you know, all that. Guys, sexuality does not mean necessarily having intercourse. Sexuality is the idea of respect in the bedroom mutually and cherishing and deepening an intimate relationship with God. It is holy. It is sacred. I find great joy in that. Thank you, God. I want you to have the courageous conversation with those that you love. Ask her. Give her a chance. Get over your big, bad, vulnerable ego. You'll be okay. You won't die. Close in prayer. Father, we truly want to be men. Man, it's a scary, scary. We'd rather fight a bear, kill a lion, than to sit with our wives and ask her, was it good for you? Did you feel loved? Help us, Lord, be courageous. Thank you for your word uh, this morning. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. See you next week.